Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Barbara Reed lives right beside Lake Ontario in the heart of downtown Burlington. The windows of her studio space look out on a sweeping vista of sky, water, and all the urban elements that make up her vibrant neighborhood. Barbara is often influenced by the colors that she sees with a mix of natural hues, highly saturated pigments, and the weathered stone neutrals of the local architecture. When describing her work, she describes it as a powerful interplay between wildness and the precision that draws her to abstraction, much like the mix of natural and urban landscape in which she lives. There is an exhilarating energy that happens when two opposites coexist. Technically, Barbara is a mixed media artist, which means she uses a variety of materials to layer and build history on the surface of each painting. Every painting that she makes begins with play. Barbara never knows where a piece is headed, which makes her studio practice fresh and unpredictable. One of her goals as an artist is to keep exploring and pushing her limits, whether that be with materials, scale, or with new techniques. Please help me welcome Barbara Reed to the podcast. Hi, Barbara. How are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, I'm wonderful. And I'm excited to talk about your work because you work in a very interesting format. So before we get there, though, I thought we would start with talking about 2018 because that was a really pivotal year for you. It was, actually. It was the year that I retired from teaching. I had been teaching for 25 years at Hillfield Strathallen College in Hamilton. And this was one of those dates that I was looking forward to, not just because I was retiring, but it meant this was now my opportunity to really pursue my past interests because I hadn't really done much art, if anything, for those years. But to really dive into what it meant to be an artist. And this was all new territory for me. This was like undiscovered areas. So yes, very, very big year. Definitely a big year. And what's it like to return to something after not doing it for so long? Terrifying. <laughs> Lots of unknowns. I really honestly didn't know what to expect because the last time I had ever been consistent with any kind of art practice was when I was a student. So that was back in the early 80s. And I'd had four very intensive years as an art student down in New York. And then when I came back to Toronto, I did a bit of this, a bit of that, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So we're talking a long, long time without actually even calling myself an artist. And this is going to sound terrible, but I would not call myself an artist for like the last 30, 40 years. Really? Just because you just totally yeah. say. Yeah, I know. And yet I bet you're creative in that time, doing other creative kind of things. I would say very creative, but just not painting. So I was a retailer. I had a couple of businesses. I did some faux finishes and painting when that was really big in the early 90s. And then eventually found my way into teaching. And yes, part of what I did was teaching art. And that was definitely creative. But I was really more pulling out the creativity from my kids. 
yeah, it wasn't about me. It was about other people, really yeah. making other people happy with what they were making. How did you get yourself started? What were the first little steps to getting back to being creative and making art? I actually thought, you know what? I need to take a course. I need to just take a course and kind of wet my whistle a little bit. So I actually signed up for a landscape painting class at the Art Gallery of Burlington, which is kind of funny because I do not paint landscapes. (laughs) But I thought, if I'm going to be an Ontario artist, I better be painting landscapes. That's kind of a goofy (laughs) concept on my part. And, you know, it was good because it actually got me into an art supply store after years and years and buying paints and buying brushes and kind of getting all the tools that you need to paint. And I realized, I don't think I'm a landscape painter. I don't really think I want to paint what I see. So I started digging around online, looking for workshops and classes that were being offered. And of course, there's so many, there's so much good stuff out there. And I tried a couple of different ones, but then I read about something called Art to Life and the Creative Visionary Program with Nicholas Wilton. And for me, that was the game changer because it just seemed to resonate with what I needed. And it really helped me dive into all aspects of art making, not just the technical things, but everything. And kind of from that point on, and that would have been 2019, I think February 2019. From that point on, it was just gangbusters. I was painting every day and really feeling comfortable kind of finding my way and building an art community. I would say 2019 was the year when all of a sudden I did feel like an artist. That mentioning of community too, that's really Mm -hmm. important when you're trying to find your footing to have Mm -hmm. other artists to say, what do you think? Or give me some feedback. Mm -hmm. Find that through the course? Absolutely. Because this was a three-month intensive course and it was kind of a full-on immersion into everything. So the key elements that will help you make strong art. But then it also looked at things like taking risks in your art making and putting yourself out there in the world so that you share your art. So that's another huge step too. But the Art to Life community was just so fantastic. And I actually got to know different artists from all over the world and really kind of maximizing the power of online. I mean, this was new to me too, like actually being able to do things virtually and everything from live critiques with various coaches in the program, including Nicholas, who's amazing. And we had a Facebook group so you could put work in there, like work in progress and get feedback. You can provide feedback. So that was always encouraged. As much as you needed feedback yourself, it was really encouraged to be generous with feedback for others. So I think the whole spirit of generosity really, really stuck with me. Be willing to share. Be willing to share everything about the art making process, be honest, like don't hold it back. And I actually found that the more I was willing to do that and able to do that, the more doors opened up for me in all kinds of different ways. That's fantastic. And then we went into a pandemic. <laughs> yes, we did. Like a year later. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you continue to build community. You want to talk a little bit about no brush required? And oh, absolutely. absolutely. Community? It's actually kind of funny just sort of backing up a little bit from that, right before COVID hit, I had a solo show. It was on my desire board as part of the Creative Visionary Program. I always thought, I'd love to have a solo show. And so through the Burlington Fine Arts Association, I had put in, I guess, a submission or an application and I got one. (laughs) I thought, this is great. So I was actually at the hub in Burlington Center for Mm -hmm. seven days 
So that was a really interesting experience. And then a couple of weeks after that, the world closed. <laughs> I thought, this is great. I'm just getting my bearing. The name of the show was actually, I called it Momentum. So <laughs> Momentum kind of stopped, or at least my ability to share work in person. But I actually found I was really productive, especially that initial year of COVID. I was painting a lot and really, really working on building that online community. For me, Instagram was way more comfortable than Facebook. So I started really putting a lot of time into Instagram. And that's where I met Tamara Grant, who is my co-host on this weekly little Instagram live that we do every Tuesdays, although now we're on vacation for another week or so. And we started this actually a year ago. So Tamara lives out in BC and we thought, you know what? We've never actually had a conversation. Let's do our first chat together. Let's just go live and do it. And we thought, okay, sure. Let's have a conversation live. And then we thought, you know what? Why don't we turn this into something weekly? And we really kind of capitalized on the whole notion of a meandering conversation as if we were just sitting, having coffee somewhere. And then just talking about what we were doing, what we were reading, supplies that we were using, maybe a great tip. And then we thought, you're really fun to start interviewing artists, kind of like what you do. (laughs) And so we started inviting artists on and usually about three different artists every month. And then we'll have one, what we call pop on Tuesday, where anybody can pop into the live and talk about what they're up to and share their work, that sort of thing. So we're coming up to our one year anniversary which is really exciting. So definitely no brush required opened up this whole new world. So aside from the fact that Tamara and I have a three hour time difference, we would invite artists on from the UK. So for them, it was like seven o'clock at night and Tamara, it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And for me, it was two in the afternoon. Some of our UK artists would have a glass of wine with them. So it was just really cool. And we got braver and braver and we thought, you know what, we're going to start asking on artists who there's no way they're going to say yes, but they actually did. So it was a real eye opener for us. Yeah. People are very generous with their time. I mean, I know mm-hmm. from my experience, I've asked a lot of people if they'll be on the podcast and there's, mm-hmm. there's very few who say no. And it mm-hmm. always surprises me because, you know, there's no catch to it. It's an opportunity no. to talk about yourself and your art and what you're doing. It's great for the audience. Like one of the things that we love about doing the Instagram live is that that audience, anybody who's watching it can ask a question. So it keeps the conversation going. And then we have all the recordings saved so people can go into either my own feed or into Tamara's feed and watch some past episodes. But we've had great people on like Louise Fletcher. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. She does the Art Juice podcast. We had Nicholas Wilton on, which was amazing. I just can't say enough great things about him. Robert Zott, like we're going to ask Robert Zod, who's an amazing sort of bi-coastal artist. He works in LA and he also has a studio in New York. And just to be able to have these conversations with people who normally we wouldn't ever have a chance to meet in person, just been great. I'm sure you found that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, I think, the one great thing that the pandemic did allow artists. Mm-hmm. We've been talking more and at greater distances. We're not just staying to our own communities, but we're actually looking beyond that. Also, you work on a new series, the Totem series. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. And did that come out of the course with Nicholas Wilton? Or is that something that evolved over time? That actually evolved because I think I have a really short attention span for what I'm working on. So if I've been working really small, and sometimes I'll work really, really tiny, 
then I need to do something completely different. And so I remember I just was into stairs in Oakville and I saw these great totem shaped canvases and birch panels. If you've ever heard Tamara and I talk about our preference for formats, I'm a square gal. I love a square format. That is a result of the Creative Visionary Program because we worked square. We worked 12 by 12. So I was doing 12 by 12, 24 by 24, 30 by 30, and so on. And I had a bit of a fear of rectangles. (laughs) (laughs) Rectangles for me were really scary. They always turn into like a landscape, right? And so I thought, well, with a totem, it's such an extreme rectangle. I can almost think of it as squares that are stacked. So I've experimented with all kinds of different sizes of totems, and I love them all. I flip them horizontally, I'll flip them vertically, and it's just kind of, I don't know, there's something about that format. And then recently, I've actually loved putting them together. So taking three of them that maybe could easily have hung alone, and then kind of piecing them together almost like a jigsaw, and it creates a whole new piece of art. So that's been really exciting. Oh, that's exciting. I wouldn't have thought that that came out of a fear of rectangles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> totally but, was out of a fear. But I love it because it works. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely share pieces through the promotion, but mm-hmm. the format is incredible. And I got to see your piece at the Burlington Art Gallery. Oh, fantastic. And so that was kind of cool because I had only seen your work online. The vertical nature of the pieces is very engaging. And just because Mm -hmm. it is so different from anything I'm used to seeing, Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there staring at them for a little while and taking it all. Oh, that's good to hear. These series, are you going to continue them? Do you have a vision for where you're going? Or You know, they reflect the way I work, which is I never know what I'm going to do. I honestly, when I pull out a blank canvas, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'll grab random paint and then see what happens. I would say the first series of the totems is definitely lake inspired. So I live right on Lakeshore and actually the view of the studio is beautiful. My little studio nook, I should call it. It's stunning. I'm on the 13th story of a condominium and I just see the lake every day and I see the sky every day. So the first series, I think there's seven totems so far and it is all lake inspired views. When you look at it, you're not necessarily going to see lake because I'm an abstract artist. It's just, I guess, the color schemes, some of the brushwork, perhaps, maybe the feeling of the lake. And then the second series, which is underway, I would almost call them like the hazy days of summer. So the colors are very soft and very muted. I'm So I'm really exploring more muted colors with some kind of desaturated neutrals. And to me, they feel like, you know, those really hot, muggy days oh, yes. where everything almost has a bit of a haze over it. I see that second series kind of going down that path. And then I think if there's a third series, it's going to have to be some brights. Like it's got to be some super saturated colors and really diving into that to kind of switch it up from where I've been. I like that you're working in the series to hear your inspiration. I have seen some of your images of your view and it's spectacular. Every day, like even now it's overcast out there. But there's these beautiful silvery grays. And then you also get the architecture that's down here. So it provides a different kind of a different complement to those silvery grays. So I think I just absorb what I'm looking at and I can't help but paint it. Not a lot of artists do that. You know, we've had conversations on No Brush Required with artists who are saying they are absolutely not influenced by their environment. But Mm -hmm. I think I am so influenced by my environment, I can't help it. It just comes out. 
you must get some spectacular sunsets and sunrises that you get gorgeous gorgeous you know what actually those would be great colors for the next series there you go (laughs) thank you no problem (laughs) can't wait to see it yeah me neither (laughs) we'll see what happens in the fall, you are going to be doing a workshop, which is very oh, exciting. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Okay. So again, back to no brush required. We've interviewed different artists, some Canadian artists, and there's kind of a small group of us. It's a group of four Canadian artists. We have never met face-to-face before, but we decided that we want to attend this workshop by Robert Sott. So Robert Sott is the artist I mentioned a few minutes ago. He was advertising that he's going to be running this in-person workshop in New York City. And I thought, oh my God, I have to go. So the four of us are going. We're going to meet for the first time, including with Rob Zott. And it's a two-day workshop. I don't even know what we're going to be covering. It doesn't even matter. I think we're going to be working in oil paints, which is hilarious because none of us work in oil paints. So we just want to go. We want to be with other artists. Some of the other people attending this workshop are also some artists who we interviewed on the show. So I think it's going to be almost like a homecoming. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. And and then we're going to stay for a week and do other stuff too while we're down there. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, you're going to have an incredible time. I'm sure that's going to be transformational as well. There's no way it can't be. Like even just to try a new medium and see how that kind of translates. Because I use acrylics. So to try some oil paint techniques and just kind of learn from somebody who that's his area of expertise and just the people around us, like these artists around us. It's going to be amazing. Are you nervous about the oils or are you like excited? Nah, you know <laughs> what? I don't know much about oil paints, so I can't really get nervous. And you know what? My feeling is it's just paint. <laughs> it's just paint. I think the thing that's going to be most challenging is how do you get these paintings home? <laughs> so I was going to say that they don't dry easily. That's what I hear cover them somehow? I don't know. I don't have a traveling solution for you with oil. Oh, you know what? I figure I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. And you know, if I have to leave them there or just roll them up and they get squished, like if you can cut the canvas off the frame, that's okay too. I'm more there just for the total experience of being with these other artists and just having fun. My God, we're all starved to get out there again, aren't we? Oh, it's so true. Getting to galleries and getting out is so important. Absolutely. The other thing coming up in the fall too for me, which I probably should start getting ready for, is the Dundas Studio Tour, which is the week before our Thanksgiving. And are you going to be right in Dundas for that? I'm going to be right in Dundas. I'm actually at my very good friend Fiona Wheelband's house. She's a potter. She does stunning pottery. So we're going to be sharing the indoor space. And then there's two other artists who are going to be set up in her driveway. But I love the idea that... Her pottery, actually, and my paintings go really well together. So we're going to kind of mix them up, display them that way. Yeah, which is really cool. And Dundas is a really cool place if anybody hasn't been there. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I'm madly in love with Dundas. Such an artist community and the support for that tour is incredible. I went last year with, I think they just had 16 artists, 16 of the original artists. And Dundas was packed with people and people were buying art and buying pottery and buying textiles. It was great to see. 2016, I took a sabbatical from work. So I took a little bit of time and I ended up doing an independent studies through the Dundas Valley School of the Arts. Oh, I had my own little studio there and fabulous. I already got to be there for three months because I had to go back to work. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But three months I was there, I met so many artists and the Mm -hmm. community and I fell in love with Dundas. I was like, 
I know. This is I, a place I'd love to be. And you walk and you see the different artists' houses and their studio spaces. I drool because I work in about 45 square feet of our kitchen in our condo. And so I don't have a lot of space. So to see somebody who has what I'd call a real studio is like just so exciting. Yeah, it's a very cool place. So I'll have to keep that in mind. Maybe I can come out and check out the studio tour. That'll Yes, you have, to. Note. So you have to. That's exciting. So have you started the work though, or is that just sort of there? Well, all my totems will be there. I've got a lot of mixed media pieces that I've worked on over the last year. The totems are mostly just acrylic paint and some wax pastel and graphite. But I also have a lot of mixed media work where I use vintage materials. I use monotypes that I've made, hand-painted papers that I've made, plus acrylic, plus anything that I need to throw at a mixed media piece. So I'll have quite a few mixed media pieces, some really large, some really, really small. So I was thinking it'd be good to have a variety. And then the totems. Oh, that's exciting. And I like that you work in mixed media. Have you always been attracted to the mixed media or is this just something that came out of playing? I think it came out again, the fact that my attention span is so short. I need to do things to kind of rejuvenate my studio practice. So incorporating new materials is just an amazing way to kind of shift gears and explore. And I mean, you can do so many things. Then I did mixed media probably steadily for a year. And I thought, okay, I need to shift gears again, which is why the totems are mostly just acrylic. I thought I need to get back and really explore all the different things that paint can do. So I'm probably due to go back and (laughs) add some more mixed media work to what I'm doing. So maybe some totems that are more mixed media. There will be some there that have lots of other materials in them too. Oh, that sounds good. Can you talk a little bit about your process? Do you work every day? Do you have a routine? Do you just wait till you're inspired or how do you keep yourself motivated? Well, I would say about. (laughs) Yeah, I would say for the past two years, I was working almost every day. And to be honest, I ended up getting a little burned out. But during the winter, that's very doable. Like there's not much more you can do. We had so many lockdowns. So painting really became a refuge for me. So typical day would be breakfast. Roman, my husband and I love to work out. So might do a workout first thing in the morning. And then I might hit the little studio nook area at about 10 o'clock, break for lunch, do some more painting in the afternoon and then break around four o'clock. So doing that seven days a week was starting to kind of get to me. I needed to shake up my routine. So right now I'm actually not painting a lot. I'm trying to get out more and to kind of recalibrate my balance, my painting life balance. So there's never been a time when I thought, yeah, I'm not inspired. I can't paint because I always find the inspiration comes as you're painting. Mm-hmm. So you just start painting. It's like putting your running shoes on, get out your brushes, get out your water and just start painting. And the inspiration kind of happens that way. I'd say for the next few weeks, I'll probably do, you know, some painting during the week, but I still want to get out and do some exploring and look at some galleries and just some other experiences that I can bring back to painting. Well, this is the perfect time of year too for us to get outside and enjoy. I just got back from Ottawa and that was just such an exciting experience to actually go somewhere else and just do some other things. And I think everything we do outside of our studios somehow filters back into what we're painting. So I never worry that, ah, gee, I stopped painting for a couple of weeks. I've lost it. It's never that. It's always, I know it'll be there when I need it that kind of trust 
in the process and trust in everything that happens as you're painting. So I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of transpires next. I'm itching to start some new totems. I have mm-hmm. to say, though, you have to tell the listening audience what you did while you're up in the Ottawa Valley. Ah! <laughs> that is phenomenal. <laughs> okay, well, they have to go into my Instagram feed. And then yesterday I posted a video. Myself and three of my really, really good friends did this little road trip. So like a girl's adventure trip. And we went whitewater rafting with owl rafting, who if you're ever in the Ottawa area and you want to go whitewater rafting, these guys are superb, unbelievable. So we ended up doing a day trip and, you know, the rapids, I was never seen like real rapids. This was like crazy. And the biggest set of rapids, it's called Coliseum. Something else I didn't know, all the rapids have names. I can't even remember some of them. One was called Butcher's Blade, but Coliseum (laughs) was the biggest set that we tackled on Friday. And we were told it was the third most challenging commercial rafting rapids in all of North America. And it took 30 minutes of kind of like a preamble from our guide, just about all the, okay, if we flip, you need to do this. If you fall out, you need to like, there's so much safety. And then they also had a jet boat ready for us at those particular rapids so that if you did fall out, you could be rescued because these were like scary, scary, scary rapids. So anyways, so you're lined up. There were probably, I think, four or five rafts. And the raft ahead of us, we could see it go through and they flipped. (laughs) So they flipped. At that point, all the saliva in my mouth dried up completely. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, we're about to do this. And these guys just flipped. So you talk about adrenaline. Oh my God. That's got to be a rush (laughs) to go down. I am a scaredy cat. Like I am not an adventure person at all. This was scary for me. And I was in the front seat. So my other friend, Sue, said, we're going to sit in the two front spots, which is like the front seat of a roller coaster. And we can see what's about to happen before anybody else. And we can't do anything about it. So it was great. You know what? It's a good experience to kind of push your boundaries that way and realize you can do more than you thought you could. That's amazing. I'm sure this is going to influence your art in some way. Yeah, lots of tumultuous looking. (laughs) Risk taking. Well, yeah. You know what? And like I said, I am a scaredy cat. I am not somebody who typically gravitates towards anything that's like an adrenaline kind of sport, but this definitely was. It was awesome. I told you it's on my bucket list. So I definitely at some point hope I can do this as well. Do it. Do it. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned, right? So as we wrap up, I thought we'd end with you talking about a book that you find that's influential and important for other artists to maybe look into or read, consider. Okay, I actually have three books, so I'll go fast. (laughs) So one book that really, it's like listening to a cheerleader talk to you about creativity and inspiration and all of the great things that happen when you're creating. It's called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, loaded with quotes, like just something that you can actually print out and like stick up on your studio wall. An example is perfectionism is just fear in fancy shoes and a mink coat. And that really got me thinking, you know how sometimes we're like, such a perfectionist, which really stops you from doing anything because of this fear of not being perfect. But I love how she reframes it. It is a fear. Acknowledge it as a fear. So that's a great, great read about creativity and you can kind of pull it out anytime. I'll reread it probably lots of times. A book that it's a long one. Apparently I'm not very far into it. I'm reading it on my Kobo. I've read it for hours and I'm still diving into it is Ninth Street Women by Mary Gabrielle. 
about kind of the birth of abstract expressionism and five female artists who were really at the heart of it. And it transports you to another time. And it's just a great book about artists and sort of that artist world back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. So it's a huge book. It's yeah. going to take me months to read. And then my pandemic read. I read that the first year of the pandemic. And I had time. Yeah, you you need to actually, when we're done this, I'm actually going to go out on my balcony and read that. And then just recently, I picked up a book called Color, a workshop for artists and designers. So this is more like a color theory kind of book by David Hornung. And it's the third edition. And just looking at color differently. And it's more of a technical book, but it has some gorgeous illustrations and photographs of artwork and color, everything to do with colors. I'll have to check that one out. I'm not familiar with it. So three. There you go. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for taking the time today to chat with me. This has been really great. And I've loved hearing about how these totem series came about because I wouldn't have guessed that's what it came out of. Fear of rectangle. (laughs) We get to chat again soon. Oh my gosh, Lisa, this was so much fun and such a pleasure meeting you this way and having this conversation. So thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.